It's the Old Man Yells at Music Podcast. The show where a guy looks back at selected hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Also, some old musical TV shows, albums you may have forgotten or never even heard of, and more. Now, here's your host, the old man himself, Roger Stroop. Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Scroop. This week, we're going to go through the fourth round of my 80s Uneasy Rider tournament. Now, if you're new to the podcast, this is where I start with 256 strange, funny, different, or otherwise unusual songs that reach their peak position in the U.S. Top 40 between 1980 and 1989. Then I put them in eight brackets of 32 and pit them against each other two at a time, picking winners in those in those matchups, then matching up those winners, then matching up those winners, until we get to the ultimate Uneasy Rider song of the 80s. And I also present the matchups as American football bowl games, and I assign a score to them. And I even write up brief summaries on, those, on these fantasy games on my blog at bobbyglobescasey.blogspot.com. Got that? Today we're going to see what happens in the fourth round. We've got all 32 remaining songs in this episode. And this time I'm going to do things a little differently. I'm not going to recite lyrics. Instead, I'm just going to talk about what makes each of these songs uneasy writers. And from there, I'm going to determine which song in each matchup deserves to move on. So here we go. first contest is the What Happened After Dien Bien Phu Fell poll. Paul Hardcastle's 1985 hit, 19, takes on Billy Joel's 1989 hit, We Didn't Start the Fire. 19 peaked at number 15. It reached the fourth round by beating Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, Still in Saigon by the Charlie Daniels Band, and Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd. Why is it an uneasy writer? Well, it features probably the most extensive use of sampling in a pop hit to that date. And those samples are not of other songs, but of news reports from the Vietnam War. And these samples were set to electronic beats designed to be played in dance clubs. So people were meant to get down to the sounds of people talking about PTSD and having someone's brains on their shirt. That's pretty unusual. Meanwhile, We Didn't Start the Fire was a number one, and it reached the fourth round by beating Cult of Personality by Li Living Color, Billy's own You're Only Human Second Wind, and Prince's Sign of the Times. Why is it an uneasy writer? Because it's a laundry list of famous people, places, things, and events during Joel's lifetime to that point. It's definitely the only top 40 hit to mention things like convicted spies Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, the ill-fated pregnancy drug thalidomide, the Suez Canal crisis, and New York City subway vigilante Bernard Goetz. And as I've said before, what adds to its weirdness is that most of the song contains references to stuff from the 50s and early 60s, with the last 25 years shoehorned into the final verse. So who gets to go on to the next round? In a battle of pop history lessons, 
the one that literally asks you to dance to death, has to prevail. So 19 puts out the fire, 28 to 14. Up next, we have the getting, getting Blown Up Can Have Different Meanings Bowl. Nana's, Nana's 1984 hit, 99 Lift Balloons, meets Metallica's 1989 hit, 1. 99 Balloons got to number 2. It got this far by beating It's a Mistake by Men at Work, Russians by Sting, and Undercover of the Night by the Rolling Stones. What makes it an easy writer? For starters, it's sung in German. A foreign language always makes a song stand out. In the subject matter, a nuclear war caused by balloons being misidentified by radar is another unique characteristic. Meanwhile, one went to number 35. It advanced with wins over The War Song by Culture Club, For America by Jackson Brown, and Dr. Feelgood by Motley Crue. What makes it an uneasy writer? It was the first song of the thrash metal genre to make the American Top 40, and it's a song about a man who has lost all his limbs in a war and wants to be taken off life support. There haven't been too many hit songs about that. So who wins this one? Well, this is close. Is the language barrier enough to top fast, loud, and dark? It is not. One beats 99, 27 to 24, in overtime. Then we have the Woman Confesses to Being Undressed by Kings, Film at 11 Bowl. Between Charlene's 1982 hit, I've Never Been to Me, and Don Henley's 1983 hit, Dirty Laundry. I've Never Been to Me hit number two. It got here by beating Coming Around Again by Carly Simon, To All the Girls I've Loved Before by Willie Nelson and Julio Iglesias, and Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. What makes it an uneasy writer? Well, it's a song where a woman who has traveled the world and had nu numerous lovers and sexual experiences convinces a housewife and mother that she shouldn't be unhappy about being tied down because that's the real good life. It could have just as easily been called, Don't Envy Me, I'm a Whore. But its actual title is this touchy-feely catchphrase, which makes it even more unusual. Meanwhile, Dirty Laundry got to number three. It's in the fourth round after wins over Rumors by the Timex Social Club, Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant, and Coward of the County by Kenny Rogers. What makes it an uneasy writer? It's an all-out attack on television news, criticizing anchors who are only hired for their attractiveness, journalists who do stories based on hearsay and conjecture rather than facts, and producers who run pieces based on sensationalism and ratings potential rather than real news value. Of course, that was 1983. It's completely different now. So who wins here? It was a new topic, but Henley had established himself as a socially critical lyricist since his Eagles days. So it wasn't a total shock to hear him do this. An anti-feminist ballad sung by a woman that became a hit five years after it was first released? Now that's a lot of strange. Charlene runs around all over Don. 34 to 14. Now we have the It's Not About the Weather Bowl, pitting two 1986 hits against each other. 
Sun City by Artists United Against Apartheid, and Rain on the Scarecrow by John Cougar Mellencamp. Sun City got to number 38. It advanced with wins over The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby and The Range, Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder, and We Are the World by USA for Africa. What makes it an uneasy, an uneasy writer? It's a collection of musical artists, from superstars like Bruce Springsteen, Pat Benatar, and Hall & Oates, to legends like Lou Reed and Miles Davis, to more niche artists like Joey Ramone, Afrika Bambata, and Nona Hendrix, all angrily decrying apartheid in South Africa and declaring that they will not perform at a popular resort there. If you want to hear such euphemistic terms as constructive engagement and quiet diplomacy in your pop, this one's for you. Rain on the Scarecrow, meanwhile, hit number 21, and it got this far by beating Money's Too Tight Dimension by Simply Red, Allentown by Billy Joel, and Touch of Grey by The Grateful Dead. What makes it an uneasy writer? It's a song about the mid-80s farm foreclosure crisis, during which thousands of American families who had worked their land for generations lost their properties due to fluctuating food prices, factory farming, and other factors. And not only did Mellencamp write this song about it, he also organized an annual concert, Farm Aid, to raise money and awareness of the issue. So who moves on? This is another tough one to call. Sun City takes an angrier tone than the all-star charity singles that immediately preceded it, but it's still a product of that everybody-takes-turns-singing-a-line formula. Rain on the Scarecrow also had company in the songs about economic hardship category, but the farm angle is unique and certainly atypical for the often cosmopolitan city-centric pop charts. But in the end, only one song brought the voices of Joey Ramone and Miles Davis to the top 40. So the sun drives out the rain 31 to 30. We'll cover some more matchups right after this. Hi, this is your host, Roger Stroop, letting you know that if you like my point of view on old pop music, you can actually find lots more of it on the Old Man Yells at Music blog. I've been looking back at top 40 charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and beyond for almost 10 years now. And I've done hundreds of entries and covered thousands of songs from the American, Canadian, and British charts. From the A's to ZZ Top. From Abacab to Zoom. You'll also find my Uneasy Rider tournaments, celebrating the odd ducks of the American Top 40. The 70s tourney is complete, but the 80s one is just getting started. And you can follow along on the blog as it progresses. And of course, you can find links to the latest episode of this podcast and the accompanying YouTube playlists there. So take a look at the Old Man Yells at Music blog, which you can find at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Why is it there? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the Old Man Yells at Music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. We're back with more beginning with the Domo Arigato for the Quarters, Mom, Bowl. Buckner and Garcia's 1982 hit, Pac-Man Fever, meets Styx's 1983 hit, Mr. Roboto. Pac-Man Fever peaked at number nine. 
It's in the fourth round after beating Digital Display by Ready for the World, Double Dutch Bus by Frankie Smith, and Radio Gaga by Queen. Why is it an uneasy rider? Well, it's a song about a video game where you try to guide a circle through a maze to try and eat all the dots without being captured by ghosts. And it includes actual sounds from the game. That's more than enough to qualify. Mr. Roboto got to number three. It advanced with wins over Clones Were All by Alice Cooper, Automatic Man by Michael Sambello, and Pump Up the Volume by Mars. Why is it an uneasy writer? Well, it's a song from a concept album about an android who brings rock music back to a dystopian society. And it features some lyrics in Japanese. So who wins? Well, a hit song about Pac-Man is going to take a lot to beat. And Kilroy and his robotic buddies, they just don't have it. The fever burns out sticks 41 to 10. Now we have the, like, oh my god, chemistry is like totally bitchin' bowl. Frank and Moon Zappa's 1982 hit Valley Girl faces Thomas Dolby's 1983 hit She Blinded Me With Science. Valley Girl got to number 32. It got here by beating Material Girl by Madonna, Baby Makes Her Blue Jeans Talk by Dr. Hook, and Paranoimia by The Art of Noise featuring Max Headroom. What makes it an uneasy rider? It's the only top 40 hit for the late great experimental rocker and features his then 14-year-old daughter talking in the accent and slang of the San, San Fernando Valley of the time, which included words and phrases like grody to the max, totally tubular, and Lord God King Bufu. She blinded me with science, reached number five. It advanced with wins over Shock the Monkey by Peter Gabriel, The Future So Bright I Gotta Wear Shades by Tim Buck Free, Three, and Silent Running by Mike and the Mechanics. Why is it an uneasy rider? Well, it takes the concept of sexual chemistry literally. It talks about smelling chem chemicals, failing biology, and of course, a lot of just screaming the word science. So who wins this one? It's the Zappas, easily. Weird teen slang and a father possibly mocking his own daughter is worth a lot of points. The Valley ends the science experiment 38 to 7. Then it's the Have we really evolved that much since caveman times? Bowl. Jump in the Saddle's 1984 hit The Curly Shuffle takes on Was Not Was's 1989 hit, Walk the Dinosaur. The Curly Shuffle got to number 15. It made it this far by defeating Twilight Tone by the Manhattan Transfer, A Wanna Be a Cowboy by Boys Don't Cry, and The Clapping Song by Pia Zadora. Why is it an uneasy writer? Well, it's a song about a comedy team from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, best known for hitting, hitting each other, and instigating pie fights. And it's done in Western swing style. And that has never really been a surefire pop hit genre. Walk the Dinosaur peaked at number seven. It got here by beating Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles, Stand by R.E.M., and Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Why is it an uneasy rider? 
It's a song about living in some strange hybrid time where dinosaurs, automobiles, the Statue of Liberty, Elvis, and Miami Vice all exist simultaneously. That's a lot of anachronism. So who moves on? What are you, a wise guy? It's Curly and his shuffle. And hey, did the studios ever do a short where they were cavemen? I'm sure that would have been hilarious. The dinosaurs get jumped 45 to 16. Next we have the Playing Pieces Bowl, or the Playing Pieces Bowl, between Murray Head's 1985 hit One Night in Bangkok and Falco's 1986 hit Rock Me Amadeus. One Night in Bangkok hit number three. It got to round four with wins over Rock the Casbah by The Clash, Vienna Calling by Falco, and Take Off by Bog and Doug McKenzie. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a song from a concept album that would later become a stage musical, created by theater veteran Tim Rice and ex-ABBA members Bjorn Olveus and Benny Anderson. And it's about a championship chess match being held in the exotic capital of Thailand. The chess pop genre, as you may guess, is not very highly populated. Rock Me Amadeus went to number one. It got here by beating Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions, The Legend of Wooly Swamp by the Charlie Daniels Band, and Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang. Why is it an uneasy writer? Well, it's a song in, that's in German, and it compares Mozart to a rock star, and it has an alternative, an alternate mix that delivers a spoken word English summation of the legendary composer's life. What happens here? This is a very competitive matchup, but in the end, I've got to give it to Amadeus. Amadeus. Oh, 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 Amadeus. Murray beat Falco once, but this time he gets checkmated 33 to 27. Now we're up to the I Can See What You Had for Lunch Bowl between two 1984 hits, Weird Al Yankovic's Eat It and Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. Somebody's Watching Me peaked at number two. It made it this far by defeating Who Can It Be Now by Men at Work, Manic Monday by The Bangles, and Cars by Gary Newman. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a funk pop song about a very paranoid man performed by the son of Motown founder Barry Gordy and featuring the not-paranoid-at-all Michael Jackson on backing vocals. That'll do it. Eat It reached number 12. It advanced with wins over Past the Duchy by Musical Youth, 8675309 Jenny by Tommy Two-Tone, and Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a very faithful recreation of Michael Jackson's Beat It, but with lyrics about food. So simple yet so strange. Who wins this one? It's another tough battle, but once again, Weird Al shows that he was made for a tournament like this. We won't be watching Rockwell anymore as Edith swallows up the watchers 27 to 17. Then it's the You Can Be Too Carefree Bowl. The Rover's 1981 hit, Wasn't That a Party, takes on Bobby McFerrin's 1988 hit, don't worry, be happy. 
Wasn't that a party got to number 37? It got here by beating Burning Down the House by Talking Heads, Life in a Northern Town by the Dream Academy, and Love Shack by the B-52s. Why is it an an uneasy writer? It's a song by a Canadian folk country group about a get-together that gets out of control to the point of property destruction, debating sports with pets, and some ill-advised shenanigans with law enforcement. Don't Worry, Be Happy was a number one. It made it this far by beating The Longest Time by Billy Joel, Come On Eileen by Dexie's Midnight Runners, and Orinoco Flow by Enya. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a breezy reggae song on which McFerrin not only sings, but creates all of the instrumental backing sounds with his mouth and voice. It's human beatboxing to the extreme. Who moves on? Bobby's I-can-do-it-all-myself approach is the huge winner here. The party's over for the Rovers after a 45-3 happy triumph. Next is the Port Charles vs. Gotham Bowl. The Afternoon Delight's 1981 hit General Hospital meets Prince's 1989 hit Bat Dance. General Hospital hit number 33. It advanced by beating The Goonies Are Good Enough by Cindy Lauper, Betty Davis' Eyes by Kinman Carnes, and Burning Heart by Survivor. Why is it an uneasy rider? It's an early rap song with a disco beat that features a woman recapping then-recent storylines from the soap opera General Hospital, especially those involving the characters Luke and Laura. Yes, there was a brief moment in time where you could catch up on your stories by listening to pop radio. Bat Dance went to number one. It reached round four with wins over Prince's own Party Man, Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler, and Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr., Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a funk number that mashes up other songs from his Batman movie soundtrack, along with the theme to the Batman TV series and snippets of dialogue from the film. It's certainly the only top 40 hit featuring the voices of Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, and Kim Basinger. Who wins this one? I had Bat Dance as a potential champion when I started this, but I have to say it's run into a roadblock from some anonymous studio singers from Boston. Now I'm wondering if rhyming summations of a daytime drama is the formula for ultimate victory. The Delights Unmasked Bat Dance, 34-28. Now it's the Space Age Technology Bowl. Neil Diamond's 1982 hit, Heartlight, faces ZZ Top's 1986 hit, Velcro Fly. Heartlight peaked at number five. It advanced by beating Who's Johnny by El DeBarge, Major Tom Coming Home by Peter Schilling, and Thriller by Michael Jackson. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a ballad about the bicycle-flying, Reese's Pieces-loving alien from Steven Spielberg's blockbuster movie E.T. the Extraterrestrial, whose heart actually did glow sometimes. Velcro Fly went to number 35. It got here by beating The Bird by the Time, Centipede by Reby Jackson, and Theme from New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Why is it an uneasy writer? 
Well, it is on the surface, a song celebrating pants that are tightened using the hook and loop fastener invented by Swiss engineer Georges de Mestral. But like a lot of ZZ Top songs, there may be some innuendo present, present, especially given the repeated use of the word snatch. Who wins this one? Velcro is one of the most unusual subjects of a pop song. But can it top Neil Diamond passionately crooning about Elliot's weird-looking buddy from space? No, it can't. Heartlight sends the ZZs home, 30 to 13. We'll look at the final four matchups right after this. The Old Man Yells at Music podcast now has a Patreon. Yes, if you like this podcast so much you were moved to financially support it, now you can. There are different tiers with different rewards, such as early episode access, the ability to vote on future topics, and bonus episodes about extra songs from the charts I cover, other charts from other years, genres, and countries, and even the biggest hits of the 21st century. And you can even pick an episode topic for me at the top level. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com and search Old Man Yells at Music. Or click on the link click on the links to the show notes, my social media posts, or the blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Help me yell more at more music. Become a Patreon subscriber today. We're in the home stretch of the fourth round starting with the I've Got a Picture of You Stepping on a Crack Bowl between two 1980 hits, Turning Japanese by The Vapors and Whip It by Devo. Turning Japanese peaked at number 35. It advanced with wins over Shebop by Cyndi Lauper, Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band, and Sugar Walls by Sheena Easton. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a new wave rocker about a guy extremely obsessed with a girl, to the point where he wants to be surrounded by photographs of, of her, including x-rays of her insides. And he also feels like his feelings are changing him into someone of another race, although that may be a metaphor for something. Whip It reached number 14. It's in the fourth round, thanks to wins over Sweet Dreams Are Made of This by Eurythmics, The Rain by Oran Juice Jones, and Genius of Love by the Tom Tom Club. Why is it an uneasy rider? It's a stuttery song about um, whipping it. It could be cream, a problem, or who knows what else. It also contains a warning about sidewalk imperfections and what injuries they may cause to family members. Who wins this one? It has to be Turning Japanese. It's a song that couldn't be replicated today for so many reasons. It was pretty damn odd even 41 years ago. Devo gets whipped 42 to 16. Then it's the Offense versus Defense Bowl. The Georgia Satellite's 1986 hit, Keep Your Hands to Yourself, takes on Young MC's 1989 hit, Bust a Move. Keep Your Hands to Yourself made it to number two. It got here by beating We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off by Jermaine Stewart, Hey Ladies by the Beastie Boys, and Wild Thing by Tone Loke. Why is it an, un Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a southern rock burner about a guy begging his girlfriend for sex 
which she will not allow until they get married. It's the song that may have introduced thousands of kids to the concept of free milk and a cow. Bust a Move reached number seven. It advanced with wins over Walk This Way by Run DMC and Aerosmith, Just a Gigolo, I Ain't Got Nobody by David Lee Roth, and You Got the Look by Prince and Sheena Easton. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a song where a young rapper encourages men to take bold approaches to meeting women, whether at parties, the beach, the movies, or at your best friend Harry's brother Larry's wedding. Who wins this one? It's close, but Young's swagger, flow, and lines like the one about hanging yourself with a celibate rope put him over the top. The satellites get busted 23-17. to 17. Now it's the Good Breeding Bowl. Dan Fogelberg's 1982 hit, Run for the Roses, meets Taco's 1983 hit, Putting on the Ritz. Run for the Roses got to number 18. It made it this far by defeating Runner by Manfred Mann's Earth Band, Master Blaster Jammin' by Stevie Wonder, and Wipeout by the Fat Boys and the Beach Boys. Why is it an uneasy rider? It's a ballad about the journey of thoroughbred racehorses from birth to the Kentucky Derby, although nothing in it, although there's nothing in it about failing drug tests. Putting on the Ritz got to number three. It made it this far by defeating I Don't Want to Walk Without You by Barry Manilow, Veronica by Elvis Costello, and Hooked on Classics by the Royal Philharmonic. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a synth-pop remake of a 1929 Irving Berlin song about dressing up in tails, spats, and top hats. And it may remind you of the movie Young Frankenstein. What happens in this one? Well, Taco Tuesday is over. Today's Wednesday, and a sappy song about animals trained and bred to compete with other animals for reasons those animals never understand is the competition he can't tap dance past. The Roses run over the Ritz, 38-21. to 21. And the final fourth-round matchup is the Angry Aussies Bowl, in which Rick Springfield's 1984 hit, Bruce, meets Midnight Oil's 1988 hit, Beds Are Burning. Bruce peaked at number 27. It's in the fourth round, thanks to wins over Leader of the Band by Dan Fogelberg, Yamo Be There by James Ingram and Michael McDonald, and You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a song about how, despite his fame, the singer and soap star still gets mistaken by a similarly named rocker. Hey, I bet Bruce used to get mobbed by fans of Dr. Noah Drake all the time back in the day, didn't he? Beds Are Burning went to number 17. It made it this far by beating Sleeping Bag by ZZ Top, Pop Singer by John Mellencamp, and Don't Pay the Ferryman by Krista Berg. Why is it an uneasy writer? It's a song about a land dispute between Australia's indigenous people and the, com- and the country's government. I imagine that's not a frequent subject of pop hits down under, let alone in the U.S. So who gets the last spot in round five? It's another close one, but in the end... Socially conscious pop hits are somewhat common overall. 
songs where a singer whines about how even his mom isn't sure her son isn't Bruce Springsteen are a bit less so. It's midnight for the oils as Rick prevails 28 to 17. So now we're down to the last 16. Not surprisingly, there are a lot of one-hit wonders here, because gimmicky songs are good for getting an artist's attention, but not so good for sustaining a career. But there are some familiar names remaining, and some genuine superstars. The 70s tournament I did on, I did on the blog, which you can look up at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com, would indicate that the flashes in the pan have the best chance to go all the way. But the known quantities have some pretty strong entries left, so it's still wide open. And yes, I'm still behind on the game summaries for this tournament. But I just put up the last games of round two, so hopefully in six to eight weeks or so, when I do round five, I'll be closer to being up to date. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, share, subscribe, and leave a review where you found it. You can also leave feedback on the Facebook and Twitter feeds, both of which are at Mr. B. Glovehead, or on the blog post for the episode, which is at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com, or you can check out the Instagram account, at Old Man Yells at Music. As always, there's a companion YouTube playlist for this episode, which I link to in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to my Patreon, where you can support the show and get some bonus content, and make my charts, just like Mike Birmingham. All lyrics quoted are for purposes of discussion and review. No infringement is intended. Next time on the show, we look at the charts from a week in 1983. More 80s for you. Break out the hairspray. Until then, I'm Roger Stroop saying, don't hand me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. Stay safe.